Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 41 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. This is Keir from Rugby Strength Coach. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Tim DeFrancesco, who's just finished up a several year stint with the LA Lakers in the NBA. Obviously, that is one of the most famous sports leagues in the world, one of the most famous teams within that league. So I asked the obvious question of what it took to break into that league, what his education was like, how he got his start on the ladder and how he worked up to being the head strength coach of the LA Lakers. We discussed some of the common challenges that you'll probably be aware of, of working in professional basketball, including an absolutely crazy schedule, large amounts of travel, different time zones, and also having to think on your feet when you're training guys on the road where you might not have the same equipment from week to week or even day to day. We also talk some more about the issues associated with working in such a famous league, namely where you're working with individuals who get extremely high paychecks relative to what you earn as the coach, uh, some potentially big egos to deal with, and how to navigate the culture of an extremely high-stakes sport. As you know, unfortunately, the Lakers have not enjoyed the best of fortunes in, in recent years, so we touched on that, discussed the lessons that Tim has learned from the good years and the bad, including how he was able to find positives even in some of the worst years uh, in terms of win-losses on paper. And naturally, I had to ask Tim what it was like to work with Kobe Bryant, who obviously is one of the most famous athletes on earth, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, and is, is famed for his mindset, his approach to his training and his, his preparation as an athlete. So I wanted to get down to the reality of that for Tim, his experiences of working with Kobe and, and what we can learn from him as coaches and athletes. Then lastly, we finished up our discussion with what Tim's going to be doing in the future and how you can get in touch with him if you want to be a part of that. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to check out more information like it, be sure to check out the Rugby Strength Coach community. This is an exclusive members website that I've created just for coaches and it offers a unique combination of video lectures, online discussion and career advice that's going to help you to take your coaching career to the next level. Each month we offer a 60 minute video lecture from a strength and conditioning coach working at the elite or professional level of sport on a topic that is dear to their heart. This is not just the stuff that you get taught that matters when you do your accreditation, your UKSCA or your degree. This is the stuff that keeps elite level coaches up at night that really matters in their job in the real world. We've got presentations from guys that work in the NFL, professional soccer, elite level track and field, uh, the NRL in Australia and New Zealand, international rugby, professional cycling, the list goes on. We have over 30 hours of video lectures and the list is growing all the time and you will get access to all of these when you sign up to become a member of the Rugby Strength Coach community. Not only this, but you're going to get access to the online discussion forum. We have hundreds of members from all over the world working at the very, very top of the game all the way down to novice coaches. Here, you're going to be able to discuss every strength and conditioning topic under the sun to ask questions and get answers and share resources. Lastly, we also offer a special area of the forum dedicated to career development. Here, you're going to be able to get advice from coaches who have been there, done it, brought the t-shirt and worked at the highest level of the industry. Here, you're going to get advice and all the things you need to do to build the career that you want, including networking, CV writing, interview prep, and climbing the ladder. So if that sounds good to you and you'd like to try it out, just go to rugbystrengthcoach.com members and enter the code word trial. This is going to allow you to sign up for 24 hours at the price of just one pound. If you like it, keep it and you can sign up to become a regular member. If you don't, just get in contact with us, cancel it. There's no strings attached. If you don't like it and it's not for you, no problem. But for now, sit back and enjoy the podcast. Tim, how are you today? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Kip. Mate, I appreciate you coming on. So you're, um, as we'll get into it, you're just coming to the end of six years with the Lakers. But how do you, uh, 
how do you get into that situation? Because obviously you mentioned off air that you're from the East Coast. How do you end up in, in California in, in such a high profile job like that? Yeah, I, I think the, the <laughs> it's a little bit of a roundabout story and, and, and path. But I, the, the bottom line was for me that I was able to a couple of things. I, I think getting my doctorate in physical therapy put me on the radar of a few folks in the industry that were looking for somebody who understood strength and conditioning at a high level and, and really loved that seat on the bus, so to speak, yeah. but had, but had this perspective, uh, as a, as a physical, physical therapist and, and a movement specialist and, and understanding how to assess and, and correct and, and rehabilitate and, and go through the return to play process. So I, I think that was a massive, massive step for me. The other thing that put me into a position to get on the radar or get in front of the, the people that would be in charge of hiring for a position like the Lakers strength and conditioning coach was being willing to make some sacrifices in terms of geographically, financially, and, and I would say kind of like what workload I was willing to take on my plate. And by that, I mean, (laughs) I, you know, by that, I mean, basically doing whatever it took at, at whatever level and particularly the level that was most helpful for me in this case was going into the minor leagues of, of the NBA. Okay. Does does that run concurrently with the, the NBA or is that like the summer league? Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it runs concurrently with with the NBA season. It's a little bit of a shorter season, so it's the NBA Developmental League is mm-hmm. is what what the NBA D League is 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 the league itself, and and so that for me uh, the opportunity that came up there was through a my former high school basketball coach had taken an assistant coach position there, and and in on the a team called the Bakersfield jam in Bakersfield, California, and just basically ended up long story short. It's like, Hey, we're looking for somebody that can be an athletic trainer and a strength and conditioning coach. Would you, or anybody, you know, be interested. And, and as it turned out, I was just in a good spot in my career to be able to take a leap like that, basically move across country as, as I, grew up and worked initially in the early parts of my career in outside in New England and, and particularly outside of the Boston area. And it was just the timing was was right. I was ready to I was really looking for the challenge of being thrust into the team setting and had been had had graduated from PT school at that time. So was working more in the private clinic setting and also doing some private performance training stuff through my business TD athletes edge at the, at the time at a very small scale and was really kind of seeing it as like, well, if I'm going to do and get access and get experience in the team setting, this, this would be the time to do it. And so, so when that came up, I really, I really jumped at it and being able to being again, willing to take on some of those sacrifices for the greater, the big picture for me turned out to be a massive, uh, you know, really, really beneficial thing. I, I guess I was kind of hoping that that would be the case at the time, but you never know. And 
honestly, when I say I was hoping for it to be the case, I, I don't think I was this person who, and there's nothing wrong with being this person. I think it's, it's great. But for me, I just was not the fresh career person, you know, new, new graduate and early professional who was like, Hey, I have to get my resume to as many pro teams as possible. So I can somehow get a spot at the, at the show. Yeah. Uh, for, for me, it was just, Hey, look, if, if obviously if, if that thing were to come up and that thing were to happen, I'm, <laughs> which, which is what ended up happening is, is, you know, but I, then I'm not, I'm not going to say no to it, but it wasn't like what I was trying to do, I think was just get myself as much exposure to as many different menu options at the buffet and, and then, and then just kick ass at each one, no matter what I was doing and, and let the cards fall where, where they may. So I I wouldn't sort of, I wouldn't interpret that as, Oh, I just kind of let the wind take me wherever I go. I mean, I, wherever I went, I, I think that's, that would be kind of a mistaken interpretation i i think that what what i'm sort of describing is that hey i was always doing something i was doing something entrepreneurially i was doing something continuing education wise i was doing something professional wise and i was hustling my ass off within each of those things and and just by by acting and by being willing to make sacrifices at the minor league level move myself across country take a, a major, major pay cut from being a, a physical therapist, ha- having a great job at a, a really nice outpatient clinic to then a job as an athletic trainer, strength coach in the, in the minor leagues is you're, you're going to take a pay cut there. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, for me, I think those two things is just, is, is being going the route of, of the DPT and, and getting my doctorate in physical therapy. And then, willingness to make the sacrifices and go down the route of early in my career. Let's, let's do some things and take some risks and and make some sacrifices that will hopefully put me into some spots that I can benefit from down the road. Was your background basketball growing up? Were you a a basketball athlete? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was a basketball athlete. I played basketball through college. I I played at a small division three school outside of Boston and college and just, I just love, I just absolutely love the sport. I, I, there's just no doubt about it. That's my bread and butter. That's what I love. That's what I know. And train myself for it, train my teammates for it. I, I think that, you know, when I was in undergrad and, and at, a, at this small division three school outside of Boston Endicott college, there, there just wasn't, you know, we had, we had athletic trainers that were, were, there for us to, to have access to, but we didn't have a, a specific strength and conditioning coach as there, we would all sort of consider them to typically be designated. And, and so I think a lot of these smaller schools don't necessarily have that luxury. And so it was sort of on my lap because the head coach knew that I had was in this industry in the, in this area expertise and, and was obviously a student, but was, had, had more exposure to that than, any of the coaches or anybody around. So he, he kind of put it on me. He's like, look, you, you're, you're in charge of getting us, our, our players and our, your teammates ready from a strength and conditioning standpoint. So <laughs> I, I cringe to even think about if I ever came across some of those early programs that I was putting together, yeah, just 
<laughs> you know, with a, with a blindfold. But, like, I mean, that's how you get better at it. You just do it and you put it out there and you, you learn as you're going and you learn as some there's some trial and error involved in it and you figure it out. And, and so that gave me kind of this opportunity to, to put to use. And, and I can particularly remember I, I was literally with my my dad helping me put these plywood plyometric boxes together with a hammer and nail and black spray paint and you know wondering like is this is this really going to be helpful and is this all worth it and and then as the training camp and the preseason time went went on it was like well you know I was getting my own teammates coming up and being like hey this is this is the best I felt this is the most ready I felt for a season in my whole career I mean that right there kind of sealed it for me it, without knowing it at the time. Like I, I can pinpoint that looking back on it is like, this is that kind of goosebump moment where it's, it's, it's just emblazoned in you to know at, from that time on that without you even realizing it sometimes that this is what you're, you're programmed to do. That was the start of a, a lifetime of hotel rooms and air travel. <laughs> <laughs> that, yo, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that to kind of tie off the last the, the, the pathway anyways was being able to a recognize that this is my passion area within this overall scope of of having a background in physical therapy, strength conditioning, athletic training, so on and so forth. I, you know, understanding where my my um, real love and passion was within that under that umbrella and then going that route of the minor leagues, giving myself exposure to putting myself on the radar without even knowing it to some of the Lakers staff having been the direct affiliate of, uh, or one of the affiliates of the, of the Lakers during my, my time there is, is really to long windedly answer your, your question of how that all kind of came about. Awesome. So, I mean, I know a few other people that work in basketball, kind of like uh, college, NBA and stuff like that. And the same themes seem to come up again and again with regard to training basketball athletes. And I just wanted to touch on a few of those, like, for example, just the sheer volume, training tool guys, travel, being flexible on the road. If we, if we talk about the, the demands of all the volume and the games in basketball, obviously a major problem there is when do you train the guys and how do you get enough training load into them to try and make them robust to injury? How, how do you get yeah. around that problem? No, that's, that's completely right. It's a major, major dilemma within this sport where whatever level and, and, and you know, as you get into the NBA schedules and, and at that level, it's like you just, it just continues to shrink in terms of the of windows that are available to get these, the the training loads and the training volumes applied to their structures and their bodies and and these athletes and and so i i think what i've found is you have to a be creative but b you and i'm i'm guilty of this i i think early on in my my career and uh, whether or even before getting the mba and and i would even say after in the early stages of, of my first year or two of getting the NBA, trying to feel out the environment is like, I think you end up making this 
sort of trade off and you start saying, well, there's no, there's realistically not a great time to get all this volume that we really need to get them on. So you just try to find more recovery options. But I think industry wide, we're, we're making that mistake in other sports as well as becoming hyper obsessed with, with recovery without realizing that you've got to earn your recovery. Yeah. And, and, and so what happens is you end up with an, just a vicious cycle of a undertrained athlete who's getting loads of game and practice volume just dumped on top of them without any breaks. And then when you get to them, you decide to go a recovery route instead of what they probably need is, is just to be kind of, uh, unfortunately, whether they're sort of feeling like it or not, just have that, that workload volume, put on them so that there's not these spikes that constantly, you know, start coming up and, and, and dropping and spiking and dropping and spiking, which we all recognize as, as one of the recipes for disaster when it comes to how the, the body handles acute and chronic workload levels. So I just think that you, you've got to be creative and when i say that it's like especially on the road you you've got to get be able to walk into a hotel weight room and say okay we probably a lot of times you might scoff at a leg press machine but if the heaviest dumbbell is 50 pounds i mean what are you going to do what are you going to do have them do 100 goblet squats with a 50 i mean you've got to probably get that guy on this leg press machine do some isometric hold and get some of that stimulus through those support structures of the bones, tendons, ligaments, so on and so forth. And that's sort of contrary to popular approach and popular thought process. Oh, it has to be functional. Leg press would, I'd never do the leg press because it's not functional. Well, you know, in this case, you're, you're probably going to have to forfeit that notion in the, you know, in the effort of getting yourself to simply get the training volume and load onto these structures that they need. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think that you've also got to just absolutely be ruthless in the off season because that's the one time where you can lay out a progressive sort of periodized approach to what you're trying to do. But what happens in, in especially in basketball is you, you get, these guys and people in these guys' ears saying, hey, you should do cross-training stuff. You should go on Mondays and do yoga. You should go Tuesdays and do yeah. beach workout. You should go do a water workout and then do spinning and then whatever it is. And it's like, well, you just listed off five days of workouts, and we haven't even talked about when you're going to get under the bar and, and load these structures to be prepared for one of the most explosive jumping, landing, decelerating sports that is out there and and you know so i i think you have to and i'm not saying oh i i would never do yoga i would never have a guy do a water workout or have a, a light day or do something alternative to traditional training but you i i just think again back to that term you've got to earn those moments when you when you see them come up in your training how does the off-season schedule work for, for basketball guys? So is it, is it mandatory to attend? Do they go after their own guys? How, how much time do you have to actually prepare the squad before that season kicks off? 
at the NBA level, there's any number of different sort of formats on that. It depends on the team. It depends on the, the coaching staff, that kind of thing, management, so on and so forth. But I, I guess generally speaking, the, the majority of the players at that level kind of can dictate how often they will be in your facility doing stuff as long as they're doing a reasonable as long as they're attending some reasonable level of you know of uh of work in the facility and so if they're just a complete no-show for a, a straight month then there might be an issue but otherwise as long as they're showing their face and doing stuff so it can be very tricky and to your point as well there's it's within the sport it's it's sort of culturally accepted that they're going to a lot of these guys are going to have their own personal guys and, and personal trainers. And, and so there is this sort of part of the game that ends up you as a strength coach have to be able to and willing to oversee these relationships that they have with other people. And then I would say kind of make them work for everybody instead of trying to butt heads and, and try to get them to cut ties and that kind of thing. Cause that's just not realistic. So you, you kind of have from let's, let's just call it May to, to June ish, depending on how far you make it in the playoffs to, and it could be as early as April, but April, May, June ish to essentially October one is the first day of, of training camp. And, and, what you're going to have in that moment of October one is, I mean, a lot of coaches at this level, like any level are thinking, okay, training camp, here we go. We're going to blow them out of the water. We're going to, we're going to try to, we're going to try to break them. We're going to try to, you know, so, so, I mean, that's, that's probably going to happen to, to some extent. And, and so your job is somewhere in that, several month period to somehow prepare them for that. And then for that one for training camp type spike that you're going to get. And then that, and then that season, that's just, it's just nonstop. It's like trying to outrun a train. You just, you just better not trip. <laughs> you better not trip on the tracks is the deal. Yeah. It's interesting. I've heard a, a similar kind of analogy with um, NFL combine prep. I was speaking to some guys at um, university of Kentucky and they said that when they get their guys ready for the, the combine, they're training them in a certain way. But then the moment they actually finish the combine, they get them in and they train them in a complete different way. And that's just to be able to deal with the demands of camp. Because what necessarily yeah. makes you a good combine athlete probably makes you quite fragile when you get into rookie camp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's a whole other topic in terms of with the basketball pre-draft uh, schedule and and kind of culture it's it's wild i mean it's it's outrageous really the, these guys if you're considered one of these pre-draft candidates then you're probably playing at one of these high level division one basketball schools where your team probably advanced far into march and into the tournament and then all of a sudden the season ends let's say somewhere if you make it far enough you could it could end as as late as april 1st or 2nd and then from that moment those guys are essentially just prepping for the draft and yeah. and 
And so then from April to really the combine itself is mid-May, and then the draft itself is end of June. So that whole period from April 1 is just these guys are flying all over the place. They're going to pre-draft workouts at different teams in different cities. They're, they're eating and you know doing stuff on the road that makes it hard to recover or hard to make gains. And they're trying their best to keep up with the, the, the pace of it. And then this is after probably a year ago, they were a year before this, they were a senior in high school. And, and so their bodies are nowhere near hardened or used to this type of activity. And then they, so they came off of a 30 game, roughly college season, which is going to be double what their, what their high school season was. And then they go into this pre-draft sort of like this absolute meat grinder. And then they get drafted, they show up somewhere right around right after July 4th to their new NBA city and their new NBA facilities and team. And they go into a mini training camp for summer league. So then they go to Vegas to go to, or Orlando and, and go into this summer league kind of AAU style tournament style of play. And they just play games every day. There's no time to really train during that time either. And then finally they, they get this break and they can catch their breath possibly. But then it's like, okay, let's say they come back after at some point in August and you've got this little four, six, if you're lucky, eight week period where you're as a strength coach, you're like, okay, we've got a tremendous, ridiculous amount of work to do with this guy just to be comfortable having him go out on the court in, in an NBA game. And we've basically got eight weeks to do it before the coach is about to try to break them in a NBA training camp. <laughs> and, and, and so it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a triage situation, essentially. Once you get into the season, though, is there ever a, like a, a format where your lowest number players may get additional training uh, in, in the season? Or, for example, if you have a night game, would you ever do like a, a morning lift with a say reduced you you have to you absolutely have to there's no way around it i mean if you didn't do that you would run the risk of having certain guys go a month without getting under the bar and 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 doing any sort of responsible resistance training approaches i mean you you, because of how the i mean guys they that's part of for me, what I would try to get rookies and second year guys used to is just getting in this habit of lifting on either game day, sometimes after games, if depending on what kind of game loads they took on and then, and, or then the next day. I mean, if you don't do that, it's easy to just realize a whole month just went by and we haven't really done any resistance training with this person. And, you know, because you end up having with the back to backs, with the travel, it's just and and you're you're crossing time zones at the rate that that the NBA schedule forces you to cross that you you just end up in a given week. I mean, you could easily have four games and and cross three time zones. 
do you have any protocols in place in terms of the travel to try and minimize any potential detrimental effects? You know, I, I think the things that are easy are the stuff on, on the airplanes. So the compression garments, the, the, you know, whether it's getting guys sleep masks so they can kind of make sure that they can knock out during those periods, the hydration and, and nutrition, being able to make sure that they have just reasonable choices around every corner for them to make if they choose to do so. The, the low-hanging fruit is, I, I, I think, the, the, you're really your only options. As it gets more complex and complicated and technical with, with the other things that are out there, the, the, you know, it, it just, there's not, it becomes more tricky to make sure that you're able to actually implement it and, and keep it consistent. So I would say those are some of the bigger, bigger ones. When you get to the hotel in each city, you, you typically uh, a sports medicine staff would sort of open up the training room to manual uh, massage based flush type situations and other either acute injury treatment scenarios or uh, even a active recovery session in the weight room type of thing. Maybe there's a hotel pool you can go do some stuff in in those cases. But again, back to our other conversation, if your go-to method is take a guy to the pool every time you go to a hotel, you, you could be on the road for 12 days and, and you, you know, now where are you getting them the loads that they need, the resistance training loads that they need to combat the, 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 lo the game loads that they're about to take on. So I, yeah, I mean, I, I think those, those are really some of the big ones that are, are easy, low hanging fruit pieces and, and, once you're sort of taking care of those big low-hanging fruit pieces then you can get more technical with guys that really want to peel stuff back do you ever uh kind of adopt like a, a later schedule because obviously you've got guys that are playing games late at night do you tend to push training back a little bit in the day and let them sleep in and, and generally get them in that kind of schedule or is it still like morning trainings morning meetings and so on yeah i mean i i personally think that that's and, and I know there's teams in the league that, that do that. I, it, it becomes sort of a lot of times that's maybe not the, if we're up to the strength coach, then, then maybe that would be a better, uh, that would be easier, but it's, it's not all the time the case. And so the, the issue that, that comes up and it's not a, a good excuse, but it, is that, the people on the other side of the argument for that type of a schedule are saying, well, that means that the one day a week or the two days a week that I get at home with my family, yeah. we're, we're now, you know, my family is either at work and at school during the morning. And so if we're not training that time, we're training at night. That's the one six hour period that I was going to get with my family. And so, I mean, I, I can see both sides of it. I mean, personally, the family aspect of what I believe in and, and how I operate is, is massive. I mean, if, if, if you just kind of erased that part of it somehow from the equation, then your point is 100%, I, I think, the right way to go is to sort of link up and extend out those recovery periods of, of sleep and, and, and then sort of sync up the body clock and the, and the 
the body sort of expectations to be similar to the game schedule. Mm. And with the training that you've got on the road, obviously you you have an idea of what you're going to walk into when you, you hit a gym on the road or what kind of equipment there's going to be. But how do you adopt a flexible enough approach to be able to, to get it out of the session what you want but be not be kind of stumped by the situation that you find yourself in are you having like set kind of menus of training with options that the guys can pick from or is it are you are you looser than that and you kind of let guys get on with what they want to do i i would always go into a training session on paper or or in my head understanding the basic the general boxes that i want to check with each guy and then I always thought it was a great challenge and a great puzzle to solve as, as far as like, okay, I need to check this box. I need this guy to get some real lower body load and time under tension, but how am I going to do this? And, and given what I'm working with right now. And, and so <laughs> it, it can sort of mean any number of different things that, that you have in front of you, but I, I, if, I think if you look at it that way, is like I don't go into it saying I have to do this, this, and this exercise. I knew, okay, I need to get this, this, and this box or this, this, and this stimulus applied to this player. Now come up with a way to do it. You know, it challenged me always to get outside of my comfort zone and think about, wow, I never thought about doing it that way, but I had no choice right now. Like, let's give this a go. Yeah. And obviously, so, guys, guys, guys have their things that they like to do and or don't like to do. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. I mean, and and you're gonna have guys that are deep into their careers, and it's that conversation is a lot different than uh, with a second year guy. Where yeah, it, with that guy, my conversation, the guy that's 10, 12, 11, 12, 13 years in into their career, I'm saying to them look, what's, what's worked for you? What do you, what do you typically do in this case? I would also like you to do this and, and then let's meet halfway somewhere in the middle and we're, we're, we're getting what we need to get. So I, I think it's this delicate kind of dance that you end up doing with, with each individual. Mm. And you, you mentioned vets with 12, 13 years in the league. I would, uh, I'd be failing if I didn't ask you about Kobe. You know, what did you, what do you learn yeah. from training an athlete like that? So I think the thing that I took away from my time with Kobe was his deep, his ability to get deeply focused on the one task at hand was probably more impressive than anybody that I ever worked with. And, and, so, I mean, almost to the point where it was obnoxious, basically. I mean, <laughs> the, the, essentially, I mean, he, to the point even where he's, I, the, I've, I've seen him doing exercises with his eyes closed. It would be very rare for him to ha hold a conversation, if not have a few sentences of a conversation in an entire training session, because he was so deeply focused on what he was doing. And he had this ability to just be zeroed in, absolutely locked in on that training session. And 
so that was very impressive. I mean, at the same time, what it does is it makes you appreciate the the sparse human moments that you or you would periodically get with with Kobe and so I, I learned to appreciate those moments and I learned to respect and, and be impressed by his ability to lock in on each and every exercise and, and training session. Yeah. I mean, you hear these stories. I mean, you, you, you probably know more than me whether they're true or not, but you know, you hear, say, for example, Kobe's had a bad game and yeah. he'll end up taking three shots in the gym until like four in the morning. And yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I, I those things are absolutely true. I've I've had I can remember an instance where we landed in Chicago from a game in Memphis. So by the time we landed in Chicago, it was at least two a.m. and bags probably didn't get to the hotel rooms until three, and everything settled in. I'm starting to doze off, and I get a text from him somewhere around four saying, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and uh, it's like, "What do you mean? What am I doing? I mean, I'm I'm pretty much asleep right now." He's like, "Well, I want to get a workout in." meet me in the hotel gym and off we went I, you know, that that's absolutely true. At the same time, these kind of legends of that extreme timing or extreme intensity of his workouts and volume of his workouts, although they're, those are completely true and those things do did exist and happen at the same time. I, I think the most, what probably was more, accurate to sort of summarize his his work ethic and approach was the consistency that Mm. one way or the other every single day he was going to do something to sharpen his edge and he there there just wasn't going to be there was not an option to be like well today's uh today's a throwaway day yeah and 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 so it didn't mean that it had to be a knockout drag out crushing workout every day it it just something was going to happen where he was going to actively sharpen his body which is as he knew it it was it, that's his weapon so i mean here's a question for you uh, i've kind of tried to progress my thinking over the last like year to 18 months about this because when you're learning to become a strength coach and you think just in terms of being a strength coach, you know that training is like an inverted U. So some is good, more is better, up to a, an yeah. optimal point, and then anything past that, you're paying too high a price for yeah. the adaptation that you're getting. And I kind of came to the realization this year that psychologically the reverse is true. So the more you do, and more and more and more and more, you become more psychologically robust, and that's that's – those are the workouts that athletes are going to take confidence from and make them untouchable on the field of play. But then physically that may not be what's best for them. So how do you balance those two things as, as a coach in, in elite level basketball with individuals like that? Because on the one hand, what may not be doing them favors physically, they're going to draw a tremendous amount of confidence and, and psychological robustness from that. I mean, that's, that's a, I, I really like the way you, you put that and, and hadn't necessarily thought of it in those terms exactly. Although I, I think it's an absolute no brainer that what you're saying is a hundred percent correct. The, I, I think the way to do that is that I, I do think there are certain athletes and certain people that think, well, the only way for me to make a workout worth it is if I'm about to throw up. And so it's not even, so then what happens is those people get into this, trap of saying 
well, I don't want to do that workout where I, I'm going to be on the verge of throwing up and exhausted today. So I'm going to do nothing because it's either that, that is what's worth it or it's nothing. And so I think it's this happy medium you mentioned earlier, just minimal, you know, manipulating the volume of work, keeping the intensity high volume, low type of thing, whatever it might be. Sometimes you might go the opposite of that. Sometimes you might decide to go a higher volume, lower intensity type day and, and, and just kind of get a flush type active recovery type workout. I, I think that that's, especially for a young player, it's hard to see why is this session where I'm really not doing anything impressive, all that worth it. Like, do I really need to be here? And ultimately the answer is yeah, because what you're doing is you're putting a penny in the bank to where when you go out there, you either consciously or subconsciously feel like there's no way that somebody has put in as many pennies as I put in, no matter what kind of pennies they were, I, I definitely put in more than this person. Yeah, for sure. So, and, that, and that's, you know, that's a, that's easier said than done to convince a guy that. Do you think the relationship is, is, or the, the quality of the relationship underpins your ability to, to get that and to convince people that what you're doing is the appropriate course of action? I mean, this whole, this, this whole business is relationship business and, and it's a people business. I don't, I'm not really overly that overly concerned with your, how many books you read or if you wrote a book or if how many courses you've been to and, and what, if you have a doctorate or if you have whatever, like, can you relate to and connect with many kinds of people? And, and so, yeah, the answer is hundred percent. It's based off of the relationship with the, the individual and every person is a little different. If you can't speak every person's individual language and hit the things that are meaningful to them, then you're not going to connect with them. And which case they're not going to get, the benefit of what you could potentially provide them. That's, that's what strength coaching is. People sort of lose sight of the fact they think of basketball or sport coaches as coaches and, and those people are teachers and they can kind of make that connection. But ask any teacher in a, in a actual school setting and ask any coach who's in it worth a salt, they will all tell you, it's just, I figured out how to speak the language of the individuals on, on every team or in every classroom. And, and you're, you're just teaching people in as a strength coach. Do you ever struggle at all? Because obviously there's in, in pro rugby, we have guys that earn a lot of money by regular people's standards. Um, but the money doesn't tend to come quite quickly. You know, I've, I've known guys in their first year contract, as, a, as a, a top level pro, they still had to live at home with their parents. It, it, yeah. was, it was not good money. But then, you know, I think about basketball, it would be possible for a kid to go straight from high school and earn millions of dollars. And I think to back to when I was that age, like on some stuff, you just couldn't talk to me. And then if I thought if you, if you throw millions of dollars into the mix there as well, that's, that makes for a potentially difficult situation is, is that ever an issue or is that more of a function of club culture and, you know, any behavior that you see has been taught or tolerated for sure. It's an issue. And, and I, like you, like you alluded to, I, how can you blame 
these guys. And I, I constantly had to remind myself, you're 35 years old right now. Your perspective is a lot different than it was 15 years ago when you were the age that this kid is. And you certainly didn't have a $2 million signing bonus at yeah. that time. <laughs> so for sure, it's an issue. There's some players that have, there's some athletes that, that I've worked with that have a, a strong enough support system where people are already embedded in around them where they check, they help to check them and, and keep them honest. But then there's some plenty where that's just not part of what they have around them. And, and so then there's this period of time where it's going to be some back and forths and there's going to be some learning the hard way on their part. And there's going to be some frustrating things on your part as the strength coach. And, and I just think that strength and conditioning coaches have to own up to the fact that you're not there to be the athlete's buddy. The, the chances are they have enough of their buddies around them and probably too many of them around them that you got, connecting and having a relationship with these players is not about being, having them like you necessarily. It's about having them respect you and trust you. And, and so if there is something inside that player who may have some work to do from a maturity standpoint, from a, accountability standpoint if, if they do have it within them to to reach a bigger potential and and be be connected with then they will respect you and trust you far more quickly and far more deeply if you are willing to tell them what they actually need to hear not what they want to hear and uh, hold them, hold their feet to the fire, hold them accountable to what they need to be held accountable and not let them off the hook. Now, all that is a lot easier said than done. I mean, my position when I walk into the weight room and, and into our locker room, when I was in my first year with the Lakers, I had never stepped foot in an NBA environment before. And they all knew that. And I was a young kid. I was basically some of the players on the team were older than me. And and I'm in a locker room with Pau Gasol, Kobe Bryant. These guys, that you could just go down the list. I, I mean, we, we had the year after that, it's, it's Steve Nash, it's Dwight Howard, it's Antoine Jameson. I mean, these guys that were seasoned, highly successful NBA players. So all of Sort of my approach there is something that I developed. It wasn't something that I walked in with and started putting the hammer down on these guys. I, I just developed the respect and the trust out of slowly but surely getting to that point. And also the one thing that any athlete in any level will always be able to do is absolutely root out or, or, or sniff out any sense of somebody who's not being authentic to who their personality is. So I just, I just, tr I think I, one of the things I tried to do was just trust what my personality is and let that come out in my relationships with them. And, and that was eventually respected and trusted. And then from there you, you, you've kind of got what, what you need, but it's where people get into trouble in this profession is where you try to be somebody that you're not. You try to 
maybe impress the coach or impress a player or become a person's friend instead of becoming their teacher and their coach. So it's like, you know, just be consistent, just do you. And um, when the student is ready, the lesson will appear. Completely, completely. <laughs> and, and that's, that's it, A, it's as easy as that. And B, it's, that's extremely hard. <laughs> yeah, well, so, you know, simple doesn't mean easy, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, because there's all these other pressures, you, you, you've got you've got sport coaches that don't even understand that. So they are, uh, you know, they're kind of right behind you around every step, saying to you, "Well, why why aren't you doing this and this and this?" It's like, look, that's not that. If I do that, that's way outside of what I would normally do. They know that, and and so. But that's you can't always say that to a coach, to somebody that you report to, and, and whatever. I mean, so it's 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 tricky. I mean, you have to stand by your standards and your what you believe in, and and just be like you said, be you, and and trust that that's going to be. It's going to take some time, but that it's going to eventually bear fruit. When you came to the Lakers, correct me if I'm wrong. They were the the reigning champions, right? When I came to the Lakers, they had come off of getting swept the year before, so that it was not. It was. Uh, I came the year after the right as the lockout ended. Uh, I basically I took the the job. So the the year prior to that, they had been swept by the Mavericks, and then the year before that, they won. So the, it was pretty close to that, but there was a, a, a brief period in between. So I've I've made that mistake as well of going to a, a team that's fresh off success. Right. <laughs> right. How did, how did you find that environment? Because, you know, we talked a little bit kind of off the air, like people can, I think sometimes people confuse success with, yes, you did some stuff good, but obviously some of the success has come in spite of what you've done. Whereas from the perspective of the successful team, it's everything you did. How do you, how do you come up against that as a, as a coach coming into that environment? Patience. Uh, <laughs> the, the, I think this idea that there was our assistant athletic trainer, who's now the current head athletic trainer for the Lakers told me when I first got there, he said, I, <clears throat> you'll know what I mean soon enough. But the one thing I'll, I'll, the one thing I'll share with you is just be able to laugh. So you don't cry. <laughs> and, and, and so that what you're describing happens all the time at highly successful organizations of any, in any industry, in any area is you end up sort of assuming that your success is because of this, this and this, when in reality <clears throat> you're, you're just sort of relying on this excuse of, well, we've done it this way and it became successful. So instead of, maybe evaluating constantly what might be a better option. And there is this idea, well, let's not screw around with something that tend, seems to be working right now. So, so in your position as the strength and conditioning coach, I, I just, you've got to be patient. You've got to be willing to understand what are the things that I can absolutely control. And then just, just nail that. And, and just recognize what are the things in this organization that you can't control. And that, I'm not saying that I necessarily did that perfectly and gracefully from the start, but it's something I, I think, learned to, to be able to do. And 
and was able to be a part of making progress within the organization during my time there because of that. When you think to years that you've had that were more successful or, or less successful, I know you guys just came off a difficult year this year. What stands out uh, to your mind that that was the difference between those those years and ultimately as a strength coach, can you control that? Or are you sometimes a, a victim of circumstance? We are, I mean, our season <clears throat> this, this past year was difficult in terms of wins and losses, but for me and, and the stuff that I know that I can control and be a part of, it was actually one of the most enjoyable seasons. And when I say that is the chemistry of the sports medicine staff and the lack of kind of lanes or silos within that. And then, I, I mean, I, I, I just think that you have to look at, in, in terms of this season in particular and last season as well, the season before this, this as well, we were really posting very favorable numbers in terms of man games lost and salary lost due to injury. And, of course, I'm not – this is sort of the age-old debate. Well, what is, how are you going to grade a, a strength coach? And yeah. I, I just tend to fall along the category of I would prefer – personally to be graded on the those those numbers of man games lost and injuries uh, salary lost due to injury as long as the management and the people around you are supporting you with what you feel like you need from a Relatively speaking, you're, you're just never going to take a job where you get every single thing you think you should be getting. Yeah. But relatively speaking, you're, the, the people around you are, are valuing you and, and showing you the support you feel like you need for the most part. If that's happening, then I do think we should be held accountable to some extent for those numbers. Now, those numbers need to be critically evaluated to say it's not just every injury. I mean, guy comes out and has a 300-pound, 7-foot guy fall on his me, uh, the, I, I, you know, you, I don't think I'm comfortable saying that should be, I should be held accountable for that. But <clears throat> there are injuries where you can sit there and say, yeah, put, put this, this, and this, this, this could have, you do an audit when there's an injury and you say, well, here's how this could have. I just think that honesty and that transparency and that willingness to own up to what we can control needs to be there. And, and so, for me to answer your question, the, those seasons, especially in my case, it happens to have been the last two seasons in which the win losses were not a nice number, but where the chemistry of the sports medicine staff had developed to, and, and what we were able to accomplish given what we had in front of us was, was actually, I think very favorable and very enjoyable to be a part of. So that, that for me is how I, I kind of began to figure out how to judge it. And um, what are you going to be moving forward to do in, in the future? Now you're going into business, right? That that's that's the exciting thing. I am now sort of in this spot in my career where, after my six seasons, and I, it certainly was not an easy decision to sit down with the people with the Lakers and say, "Hey, I, I think that this is." the right thing for me, for, for everybody, for my family, for 
the the whole picture for it to to be it's time for me to move on from my my seat here i obviously recognize the gravity of the position as much as anybody but what i I think happened was obviously when i took the job not having any nba experience directly you're immediately in a position that you're way outside your comfort zone and personally that's I love having my back to the wall in that type of situation because the way that sort of my mind looks at it is I mean, you've got no choice. You, you've got to make this, you've got to figure this out. You've got to make it work. And so I personally felt like it was getting to the point where that had gone from outside of my comfort zone to getting closer to my comfort zone and having this itch to say, Hey, well, what's, what's next in terms of being put into a spot where it's not necessarily your immediate comfort zone and your back's to the wall and you got to figure something out. So yeah, what you bring up is, is, is really exciting in terms of the business aspect of it, being able to have a broader reach than just 15 or 17 roster players of an NBA team and, and be able to get into things like working on my business with TD Athletes Edge and we're already a few days away from unveiling our our new podcast Edge Factor Radio which you can kind of find us on a couple different spots on Stitcher and and iTunes so on so forth and hopefully you'll be able to throw that stuff in the show notes for people to find us but the so that's just sort of like the beginning for me to be able to think about how I can get more reach and, and apply what I've taken from this experience to broader, bigger audiences. And at the same time, always appreciate the experience that I had under this logo in this environment and use it to make me better in this new environment outside of my comfort zone and being able to do a lot of things through clinics and workshops and webinars, those things. And, terms of progressing the field from an education standpoint but also progressing the education of the people outside of our actual field who are the end user are the people that we're in this for and they're the people that really they need the information brought to them in a digestible way and so really looking forward to solving some of those puzzles and 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 coming up with solutions for the the end users and for the teachers and the coaches, which is us to, to be able to be better at what we do and be more responsible at what, what we're, what we're dosing out. So that's gonna, that's gonna really, really be neat to see how that unfolds. And, and the other piece of it, as I talked about earlier, I'm, my family is, is everything to me. And my wife has been a unbelievable trooper in this whole process of, being in Bakersfield, California, and then being in Los Angeles is certainly not a bad thing, but it's also 3,000 miles apart from where her and I grew up in New England area. And so we have an 11-month-old daughter. And so it's all these things kind of came together at a, at a point where it was like, yeah, you know what? This, is, this was an unbelievable chapter. This was an unbelievable opportunity that I had. I've squeezed a ton of juice from it. 
I've been, I've benefited from it tremendously and, and hopefully I brought some value to what I could control within it. And I'm comfortable and I'm okay saying there's a new chapter coming and let's, let's get in there and see what it is. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Where, whereabouts can people reach you online, Tim? www.tdathletesedge.com is our website. We have a consistent blog there and the other ways that we sort of reach people and, and the services we, we provide there are, are clearly indicated on the website there. We're very active on social media, so especially Instagram, at TD Athletes Edge. Twitter, very, very active, at TD Athletes Edge. On Snapchat, TD Athletes Edge. YouTube, we regularly post instructional and demonstrating demonstrate demonstration-based videos of exercises or nutrition concepts on there. And, and again, searching TD Athletes Edge on YouTube will we'll help you find our, our channel. Like I said, we've got the podcast coming out soon. That's Edge Factor Radio. And my brother Scott is coordinating that and hosting that. I, I jump on in there and, and blab about some stuff here and there. But Scott's really just doing an exciting and unbelievable job of, of getting us into that space. And, and ultimately, those all those different platforms are, are there for us to be able to share and to also learn and to just be social and collaborate and interactive with, with our, with the people that hopefully are benefiting from it. So we're, we're very active there, but we're also very interactive there. And I really, really encourage anybody who finds us on any of those platforms just to reach out. And even if it's say, Hey, how are you? This, this is, uh, my name is so-and-so and, and here's what I'm doing. I, I, I love that. That's what this, this stuff of the internet and social media should be about. And, and so those are, those are places that you can get uh, a hold of us. I, I will mention one of the programs that we're really excited about that we've recently unveiled and, and had a, a great amount of feedback from the, the first run of is this career finding your career Super Bowl and insider mentorship program. So what I noticed in my time in this profession so far is that I ended up, as I progressed, I ended up getting more and more questions from people to say, hey, could I get a cup of coffee with you or could I hop on a quick call with you to pick your brain and, and gain some insight into what you've experienced? And my nature is to try to say yes to as many of those as you can. But then every time <laughs> you, you end up doing that, it's there's just ends up not being enough hours in the day to, to be able to do that. And besides, I think that when we probably do say yes to that, there's never enough time to really give the value and the insight that maybe the, the person on the other end deserves. So I set out to create this platform through this insider mentorship, which allows people to get more than what they could ever get in it with a cup of coffee or on a quick phone call with me. And so that information can be found on our website. And it's, if you are on Instagram, 
just DM me and ask me about the insider mentorship and, and we, we can get you a link. And essentially what it is, is a program in, in, in which you get, gain direct access to me through various methods and, and, and meetings online remotely and access to webinars that I put together on along the idea of finding your career Super Bowl and me being able to share my experiences and the things I wish I would have done, the things I was glad I did and the things that I would still like to do. And, and everybody's career Super Bowl is a little different. So having a coach and having a teacher and having a mentor is something that in any area that you're not an expert in is, is important. And especially in this field where there's so many different ways you can go and there's so much going on, it's, it can be overwhelming. So very, very excited about that insider mentorship. Please reach out and, and check in if it's something that might be interesting to, to anybody that's listening to this. And I, I, I'm uh, just lucky to have the followers and the, the people that we do have that are paying attention to support what we're doing. And, and that's what it's all about. Well, thanks, Tim. I really appreciate your time for today. Oh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And hopefully we get a chance to do it again. And we'd love to have you on, on our podcast, Edge Factor Radio, at some point. Dude, pencil me in. <laughs> Done. <laughs>